welcome everybody to the fabulous 39th edition of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which, as has become a tradition, features myself, Ben. <laughs> and your co-host, David. <laughs> and uh, tonight, this evening, we are going to be talking about Smile, the second episode of season 10 of the new series of Doctor Who. Mm, smile! <laughs> smile! Ooh. Why don't you start off with this one, David? <laughs> All right. Pearl Mackey is just simply amazing. Uh, every scene, she just captured uh, captured my attention. Not that she was stealing the scene, but her charisma, the way she was delivering her lines, her delivery, yeah. she really it comes across as a very charming, starry-eyed, but yet firmly grounded young woman. And young she's woman, just, yeah. she's a pleasure to watch the interaction between the doctor and Bill. Yeah, it's what we've been waiting for, in my opinion. Yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a really, it's a, it's a classic pairing of the doctor and a young female assistant, and it works really well. And that very first scene it seemed kind of flirty, but not in a romantic kind of flirty, but of a, the doctor like showing off his TARDIS, and he is dropping lines how to impress Bill, even though she's going, well, there's a mistake like with the seats. And the doctor's going, hmm, well, I don't really know how much it costs because I stole it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think uh, impressed Bill a little, little bit. And yeah. then the knock on the door with Nardle, and you get Bill kind of rolling her eyes and patting her head as if she has a headache. And then the doctor says, it's mum. So, you know, Nardle is the big handbrake on their adventure. And, yeah. It's, and, it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice little, uh, you know, it kind of increases the mystery for Nardle, mm -hmm. um, which, which, which I liked a lot. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Doctor is in, somewhat, is in some way exiled to Earth here. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, he has the use of his TARDIS, so he can, right. know, he can go on trips. But he's he's apparently has pledged to stay on Earth for quite a long time, right? To do something, and we don't know mm -hmm. what that is. But Nardole is in some way, or Nardole is in some way uh, the uh, guarantor yes. of of the Doctor's uh, oath to whoever who, who to whomever he oathed to mm -hmm. pledged his oath, right? Mm. So Nardole's role in the story was. Arc building, <laughs> more than anything He's else. An he arc builder. had had the cameo at the beginning, and he is there to sell or build the arc. The arc of the oath. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just call it that. So, and then after uh, uh, the doctor exiles Nardole to upstairs to make tea. Then off they go. They have a time machine. <laughs> uh, then off they go. Yep. The doctor presents Bill the choice. Do you want to go backwards or forward in time? And just like Rose, Bill decides to go forward. And immediately we get set up what the story is about. And the doctor asks, why do you want to go forward in time? And Bill goes, why else? To see if it's happy. It kind of echoed the end of the world with uh, Rose yeah. going forward in time. And Absolutely. then bam, yeah. we get a cut scene to the destination, Wheat World, where they're headed. Yeah. And you're immediately seeing the problem that they're having with the emoji robot interfaces in the Vardy. Yeah. And these colonists talking and trying to s smile through this 
bad news that a lot of people they know of died. Yeah. One, one, one of whom at least is related to um, uh, the mother in, um, in uh, the Sarah Jane Adventures. Oh, is she? Yeah, yeah. So that's Gita out of EastEnders who then became uh... whoever the mother of the girl who is in the Sarah Jane Adventures <laughs> is. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's in the Doctor Who... Her. Extended Doctor Who family. Yeah. Um, um, can I can I just interject yeah, for a second? Yeah. Um, this is a thing that I'm going to start. I'm going to start to call Billy's choice. Okay. Um, where the companion is given a choice: Are you going to go forward? Are you going to go back? And in the mm-hmm. second episode of each show, I'm calling it Billy's choice because, of course, it was given to Billy Piper originally, mm-hmm. um, and now he's being given to, to um, Bill the character, uh, who's apparently, <laughs> according to what I've read online, uh, Bill is short for Billy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's so she is a so her name her real name is Billy Potts. Um, uh, so it is it is literally Billy's choice. Hmm. Well, that's interesting because I I really feel like Bill is yeah. Stephen Moffat's Rose. But but going back to go, yeah, going yeah. back to Smile and they're on Wheat World. Uh, it's 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 actually Glycy five eighty one D. Ah, okay. <laughs> and, and and just as again a little bit of a little bit of trivia there, that is a real planet um, hmm. which orbits the recently discovered sun of Glycy five eighty one, which is one of those planets that we've just one of these systems we've just discovered which has <laughs> habitable planets in it. So all right, you see, I mistook it for Valencia. I did. I mistook <laughs> it for Valencia as well because of course <laughs> it has the wonderful and uh, uh, the, the wonderful architecture of Santiago Cantrava mm. in it, um, mm-hmm. which is. The city of arts and sciences. The city yes. of arts and sciences. Yeah. So, um, which is a amazing futuristic looking location. It's super. Yeah. I, I I was just I I really love <laughs> Doctor Who using kind of futuristic contemporary buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just you know it's a lovely callback to Frontier in Space, where of course they use the recently built Hayward Gallery um, uh, complex mm-hmm. on the South Bank, um, and it's you know, and, and again you know it, which makes uh, I you know, I think I've argued this before. It makes perfect sense that you know a building is important important as that Hayward Gallery complex would still be in existence, you mm-hmm. know, a thousand years from now. Right. And may very well have been repurposed into right. the headquarters of, of, you know, the Space Service or whatever <laughs> the hell it was. Um, similarly, with, with the Museum of, 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 um, of Science and Art in, in Valencia, there's no reason why that shouldn't also be a blueprint right. for nanobots um, to construct a, a, a habitable dome mm-hmm. for colonists on, a, on another planet. Very, very nice. like it. Once they're inside the city of wheat world bill kind of corners them for an explanation saying say aren't you supposed to be watching a vault or something like that and, and the doctor <laughs> kind of blow gives a gives an answer but not a real answer yeah you know sort of like a long mm. time ago a thing happened i made a promise and therefore yeah. i have to stay on earth <laughs> yeah what's going on and we then don't yeah, yeah so it's a it's a nicer way, I think, of building the arc than say a bad wolf or silence must fall. Or a crack of some kind. A crack, right. It's it's a mystery, but we're always trying to find a little bit more about the doctor, but this is a mystery just for the series. It's a mystery that's most likely gonna be tied to the Capaldi's Doctor Regeneration at the end of the series arc. So it's I think it's a nicer nicer way of dealing with it because it incorporates it in the story, acknowledges it in the story, but it doesn't seem tacked on in that way, at least for my my watching. 
Yeah, no, it's it's very smoothly done, mm-hmm. very very smoothly done, and and again, I mean, we've got two very very accomplished actors who are able to kind of sell um, all of this dialogue and work with 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 you know, any subtlety or mm-hmm. any uh, obviousness in the dialogue, and right. you know, really kind of sell it to us. And I think it's as always, you know, a general assessment of this episode, the two main casts, and really. You know, we have a bunch of loser colonists who turn up at the end, and right. we have you know Gita's mum out of EastEnders at the beginning. Right. Um, but there aren't really any other characters in mm-hmm. this episode. It's really a two-hander, and they do an ex- and they of course do a superb job. Mm-hmm. And it, and that kind of emptiness really reminds me of classic series with uh, stories like the first episode of The Wheel in Space or the first yep. episode of The Ark in Space, where yep. it is primarily the main cast carrying the story forward, propelling, investigating that mystery. Yep. And I think it really works. And it wasn't until the colonists show up at the very end that, that I think the story starts feeling rushed. It's sort of like the colonists show up in like ninth or eighth remaining minute in the story. And it just seemed like it was over in a flash. And then you have at the very, very end, you still have a little bit of the doctor and Bill and the TARDIS hurling through space back to Earth. And it, the discussion there, you know, did we kickstart a new civilization? Right. And that right. type of stuff. You're trying to deal with the consequence, but it's almost a harkening back to the fourth doctor's era where he goes and resets or upsets or disrupts society and then leaves and says, see ya. it's yeah. up to them to sort it out. I've just given them the opportunity. So I don't, I don't really have a lot of hope for those colonists in the Vardy. No, and it's, it's, I, 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 another callback for me was the was the Beast Below, mm. uh, where you know obviously you know that's another you know if we're all locating this in the same kind of rough era of kind of human history where right. you know so, solar flares devastate the Earth and we mm-hmm. have to kind of escape mm-hmm. the the kind of what is it Brit Base One or something that's what what, what is it called the one the thing that's on top of the whale. Anyway, the, the little Britain that is located <laughs> on, on the top of this whale with the Smilers. Now, the Smilers, you know, seem to me to be a uh, a kind of a clockwork, you know, steampunk, uh, kind of or Britpunk attempt to do one of these emoji bots. Yeah, um, interesting. So it it yeah. seemed like a nice little kind of, you know, yeah, well, that's what, mm-hmm. you know, a kind of crappy British star <laughs> whale arc would try and make <laughs> a kind of a cheap knockoff made out of bits and bobs mm-hmm. of a kind of a more sleek kind of, you know, Sony Apple ink emoji bot. So right. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, and it was, it's interesting that I think it was in Last Christmas where, the, where he was discussing the movie Aliens and how... Uh, racist or xenophobic that movie sounded and he had a very similar line when bill was um, responding to the nanobots the vardy saying these are very disappointing robots and the doctor goes that's a very offensive remark don't (laughs) make personal remarks like that and then um, bill sees the emoji bots and saying well those are not disappointing robots so it, it seems to me that this doctor has a very acute sensitivity to the use of language when dealing with other species and robots and political correctness gone mad is what it is well perhaps oh, no I'm joking it's, it's, it's very <laughs> it's this doctor's sensitivity to it's very sensitive yeah, you you wouldn't imagine, say, a, a Tom Baker doctor being that sensitive to language. No, exactly, exactly. So, uh, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. You know that the episode just kind of rushes to a kind of weird conclusion. I mean, the fact that there's some kind of reset button that kind mm-hmm. of solves solves everything. Well, it's a um, it's a magic want, wand. 
you 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 wonder why Gita's mum didn't think of that, you know, mm-hmm. before she was getting eaten by nanobots. Right. Um, but um, you know, I I sort of I mean, all the way through, I was kind of I mean, I was enjoying the performance. I was enjoying the the the, the search of the deserted base. Right. Um, I, there was a lovely I felt kind of callback to Seeds of Doom with the kind of you know with the the rotating yeah, um, uh, uh, yeah. kind of body masher that provided the, yeah the grinders of people's bone meal. bones yes yes yeah, yeah. and but it, again you know it, it was kind of set up to fail from the beginning because we're so it was shown you know in the cold open before mm-hmm. even the credits are rolled how effective these nanobots are basically right. if you don't smile they swoop down from above and you're dead right so you know how are heroes actually going to escape from this just uh, you know i'd hoped you know maybe these nanobots maybe they maybe they were tame maybe someone had kind of tamed the vasta narada you mm. know so that you know call back to silence in the library maybe mm. these were you know kind of tame ones and we can mm. have a nice callback there or maybe no. um you know once one of the nanobots one of the one one of the sorry one, one of the emoji bots the emoji interfaces had been killed in mm-hmm. inverted commas they would learn that grief is a thing and mm-hmm. you know that uh, they would feel grief so then they would feel empathy to the colonists so right. it would be solved in that way i had another idea well maybe you know it would all be so maybe it'd be solved in a really kind of grim and horrible way and that the colonists had escaped you know a kind of a war-torn destroyed earth mm-hmm. um and they immediately kind of open fire on the on the emoji bots, and again, you know, create a kind of you know another kind of destroyed and destroy this beautiful pristine environment. Right. None of those interesting plotty things happened. All right. that happened is that is that the doctor just pushed some kind of reset button, and everything was fine. Other than the fact that these colonists now have to live with a bunch of um, homicidal you know, robots, <laughs> homicidal, who, who you know who are so badly designed, and I think mm-hmm. that was a nice thing. It was so bad. Well, their their programming is so badly designed that they are. It's entirely possible that they can, that they can turn homicidal at the blink of a kind of a misunderstood a misunderstood right. emotion. So, right. Yeah, they're kind of left in the lurch. Basically, yeah. it's it, not a very satisfying conclusion to it, although. Going up until the little boy appeared, yeah. I was really on board, and I thought the tension, mm, so the tension of the story was really starting to get a creep factor. It reminded me kind of the uh, intensity that the Impossible Planet story had when right. they were dealing, coming up when they meet the Ood at the right. end of that first part of that. That kind of tension of that kind of mystery, but it really seemed like this needed another 10 minutes or this seemed really rushed or it needed another episode where you would deal with the colonists and the impact of what was going to be you know maybe they should have evacuated the city it seemed to the doctor kind of dismissive of sleeping out in the rough maybe that would have been the right solution yeah i mean it doesn't look i mean it's not you know it's not it's not it wasn't shot in you know west wales again it's Mm -hmm. it looks it looks nice and warm and sunny outside right um it it seems like perfect weather for camping right especially if by camping you avoid getting eaten by (laughs) nanobots Right. Um, here's here's a here's a kind of a fan wank, um, <laughs> exciting plot development. So the the, the colonists, uh, you know, they're, they're inside the spaceship and they unpack like the stage two of their terraforming ro- robots. Mm-hmm. And guess what those are? What? They're mechanoids. <laughs> so frying pan into the fire for the colonists. 
Yeah, well, the city of arts and sciences really kind of looks like the Mekon city, the mechanoid city in oh, some wouldn't ways. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see like <laughs> mechanoids gliding around? Oh well, my goodness! The corridors, the outer corridors, are certainly large enough for them. Wide enough to accommodate a mechanoid. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a good selling point for any kind of modern architecture. Well, when, maybe when they revisit in uh, series eleven, <laughs> they'll be all mechanoids. <laughs> Well, so here's some more trivia for you, which I was again, I was noodling around today. Mm -hmm. um, uh, did you take note of the name of the spacecraft? Yeah, it's nowhere backwards, or nowhere backwards, but with a couple of, of letters transposed. It's okay. actually Irwan backwards, and okay. of course, of course, as you will know, uh, as I have recently become uh, the knowledge of. Um, that is the title of a book by the uh, uh, by the 18th century, sorry, 17th century uh, political philosopher Samuel Butler, hmm. who wrote a book called Irwan, or Over the Range, um, okay. which was a dystopian or utopian novel about a fictional country of the future where everything kind of goes right. Um, <laughs> the Book of the Machines. Hmm. Um, it is subtitled. So that's a nice... And then, if you, if you look further into that, um, if you're familiar with your um, French post-structuralist philosophers, <laughs> um, you'll know that, um, that, uh, that Gilles Deleuze, who is one of the greatest of all the French post-structuralist philosophers, used the word Irwan to describe a certain kind of idea which, you know, when I first read it, it wasn't making any sense. But then I remember back to the episode and we talk about, you know, the, uh, uh, the, you know, the, this, 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 the, the emoji uh, robots and how they communicate ideas and then the ideas of kind of grief. And, and, and actually that all seemed to kind of fit together, fit together quite nicely, if actually very pretentiously, um, which also I think fits very nicely with Frank Cottrell Boyce, who I think is a slightly pretentious writer, <laughs> and I think was intending us to, to, to be discussing French post-structuralist philosophy and um, 18th century uh, political uh, utopias in our podcasts. We do have two uh, utopias mentioned. Absolutely. We have the doctor thinking with the emoji robots or the emoji interface, it's a utopia of vacuous teens. Yep. And then Bill, when the doctor gets two servings of uh, fish-smelling algae bluey jello she calls it uh asks this this bloke utopia bloke utopia <laughs> with, yeah. uh, so, food sexism of the future yeah so i mean obviously yeah, utopia is a kind of a theme here um again i wish we'd had another episode you know to to kind of look at these things just a bit mm -hmm. a bit you know in a, in a kind of deeper in a in a deeper way and i'm afraid i mean these kind of episodes really do show up the problems with a 45 50 minute episode right. structure it's just not enough time for us to really understand and get into the i mean we know the characters beautifully mm -hmm. um and this this i think this always works but the actual what is going on and right. why that matters to us mm -hmm. is often left really really underexplored see i think this would have worked really well in a classic 30 or 24 minute 30 minute two-part story where you have the setup where they're exploring and then you have that the the, yeah. the the cliffhanger being where the doctor has uh set the uh the fleischmann cold fusion generator cold fusion engine on override or overdrive and bill 
discovers the young boy. Yeah, and then the, you know, and the, that's that's the cliffhanger. And yep. then, but then that last you know the last ten minutes of the story just was rush, 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 and it didn't make sense that they were gonna. I mean, these are supposedly rational humans, and it just didn't seem to be a rational response to grab weapons right away. Nope. Do they not understand what gray goo is? <laughs> yeah, you can't really see. Well, I mean, okay, my automatic response, if I'd just come out of a hypersleep, you know, onto a to a planet that I was expecting to right. colonize, you know, is, is, and I was familiar with this technology. I mean, surely they're familiar with with, with, them, with nanobots. Right. Uh, and, and also with the, with the emoji interface bots right. as well. Um, I'd have gone to the reset switch and, you know, turned it off, turned it off and turned it back on again. Or just turn them off. <laughs> or just turn them off. Right. I mean, why do we need them? I mean, I have, I was, I was seeing some criticism online, um, people saying, well, you know, why invent a technology that, you know, that you can't actually talk to and that is capable of so, such massive misunderstanding <laughs> um, as these things, you know, right. kind of homicidal misunderstandings these things are. Um, I'm not too bothered by that. I think it's entirely possible that, you know, like an Apple corporation of the, of the future, <laughs> <laughs> you know, comes up. Well, you, you, we don't have to talk to them anymore. You don't have right. to use a keyboard or words. They just understand you. I right. Can they totally just, imagine a They just look at your the, little smiley exactly. <laughs> emoji on your back and it's all complete so, sense right, to yeah. me. Exactly. Yeah. That makes complete sense to me. But what doesn't make sense to me is the thing, however crap our devices are, you can always turn the things off and mm-hmm. you know where the off button is. Right. And you know, that's that's kind of the scary thing is we have we're developing technology things that can't be turned off. So we have like the uh, the echo and those type of things, which are meant to be always on, always listening. Right. And right, so they right. aren't turned off unless you depower them. And if we come up with some kind of long serving battery or something that becomes even a disposable thing, I can imagine things aren't ever going to turn off and they're always going to be on. They're always going to be listening and reacting. Yeah. And if you give give the powers of a nanobot technology, the Vardy, where they can apparently self-replicate and expand and build, you know, they're, as the doctor says later in the story, they're an emergent form of life form. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we, if we have maybe had a, another episode, you know, we could have explored, you know, maybe there was a resistance hiding out in the city, you know, and we can have another <laughs> nice call back to, um, you know, the happiness patrol where, you know, people have to pretend to be happy in order, in order to survive. And, you know, they, again, there could be other aspects of these emoji interfaces that people are trying to beat. You know, there was a whole bunch of stuff that's, mm-hmm. that's you know, it's, I think is. You know, obviously, I watch a lot of TV, um, and one of the reasons I watch a lot of TV is a lot of great TV about at the moment, mm-hmm. and the 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 you know the, the what we're realizing about television um, is you know serialized drama, um, you know Sopranos, Breaking Bad, The Wire, all that kind of stuff. You can tell stories over long periods mm-hmm. of time. Now, I'm not arguing that Doctor Who you know becomes Breaking Bad, <laughs> but it seems to be you know that that in a desire to be modern, i.e., to have you know, to be kind of quick and short, it's actually now kind of maybe more out of date um, than classic Who, which was told over longer periods mm-hmm. of time, like the current you know inverted commas golden age of serialized TV um, that we're living in right now mm-hmm. and uh, again you know they've flown them all to valencia you know um let's let's have 13 episodes in this 
Uh, sorry, let's have uh, at least two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, let's have let's have at least two episodes. I mean, let's just stretch the thing out a bit longer. Right. We already know we already know that twelve episodes of Doctor Who a year is not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, let's give us another episode. You know, give I it a know. little room so, to breathe. Right? Yeah, give it more room to breathe. So, I mean, uh, there. Please. I mean, there's yeah. certainly. I mean, there's there's stuff that I think could have been expanded upon. I thought the scene where Bill was uh, smelling rosemary and Pearl Mackey just really sold that. Just you know, she says, "I'm smelling home." Twenty. 20 light years away from home and then she goes just turns around to the doctor you know thanks for bringing me this is a great day out and you get the sense that bill really really is appreciative and not taking for granted this time traveling you know this is you know she says at the beginning this is like this is her first proper outing and I I think she's a companion that we haven't seen in a long time and she isn't really smug and you know uh, entitled i think she's really appreciative of the opportunity of being able to travel with this uh, he as a doctor says 2000 year old time lord yeah and i i actually i really i really was kind of made mental note of that line as well i mean that was such a beautiful line reading by um by pearl mackey and you know really brought out that, that this is supposed to be fun you mm-hmm. know and actually going to several thousand years into the future would be kind of awesome. Right. And, uh, you know, the fact also that she never really loses it, mm-hmm. even when they're under, you know, an immense amount of threat, it right. also then speaks to both her own self-reliance, but also to her trust of the Doctor and mm-hmm. their, you know, their existing relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, and you really do believe that she believes that actually nothing really bad is going to happen to her because she is, you know, with this person who, you know, is incredibly capable and mm-hmm. kind of knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and she's not a plot device. You know, she's no. not Clara, which is, she's not like a Misty, not like a... Not Amy. Uh, <laughs> uh, or is, she, is she pregnant or isn't she pregnant? Don't care. Right. You know, um, does she love the Doctor or don't, you know, or, 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 is she trying to get off with the Doctor or isn't she? No, don't care. Let's just explore the right. how amazing it would be mm-hmm. to travel into the future or, as I think, as was what's going to happen next week, travel into the past right. and meet Crawl under the tent. <laughs> and we have a callback, and this is the second week in a row, that uh, we have the Penguin line. Yep. Yep. And it's the second week in a row that we have a teary-eyed Pearl Mackey after discovering something. First time was with, you know, goodbye to Heather's. And the second yep. one is, it was almost a Malcolm Hulk-like scene where she's looking at the, the history of the world and then all the events that led up to the colony ship leaving. Yeah. And it it reminded me of like the scenes in The Invasion of the Dinosaur with their, their right. education. and. It seems to be uh, there's just a lot of callbacks. Like when when they open up the spaceship, the doctor's saying rivets. I love rivets. And then what's Bill's reaction was wicked. And just between yeah, her and the ace. patched jacket, yeah, it's Ace. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and then when the doctor says he he wants to go run and blow the thing up, and Bill's saying, well, how do you get away with that? Blow things up, get in trouble. And it's sort of like that's sort of an, an inversion of Ace, where Ace was always blowing things up, and the doctor is saying you get in trouble. So there's there's these these inversions. It's a continuity-heavy piece, and there's a lot of continuity or a lot of callbacks to the past if you are aware of the full, rich history of the program. But it's really, really lightly done. Right. It's, very, yeah. it's a very subtle touch. Very, very subtle mm-hmm. and just very, very careful. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, it's maybe... 
I mean, I don't know who's doing it. I mean, I don't really think that uh, it's... Uh, well, maybe Frank uh, Cottrell Boyce is a huge Doctor Who fan and kind mm-hmm. of understands all this stuff. Um, but, I mean, uh, you maybe it's just Moffat, like, finally kind of, you know, just dialing down his kind of worst impulses and just, you know, tweaking the script here and there mm-hmm. just so that, you know, she says ace. Right. Um, or wicked. You know, or, or wicked, I beg your pardon. She says wicked um, because, you know, she's got to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, she may as well, will well say a piece of kind of, you know, late 1980s street slang. Mm-hmm. Which um, fits with some of her wardrobe elements, too. Yeah, she's obviously a fan of the, of the <laughs> 90s. Um, so, anyway. <laughs> and so, yeah. I, I mean, there's, some, there's also some interesting... The, the Fleischmann cold fusion engine that I mentioned earlier was um, from the late 90s with Martin Fleischmann with his experiments with ponds in for cold fusion that kind of oh, had the media yeah. buzz out, you know, out of the University of Southampton. Or the bust with the Nefertiti, which is a callback, I thought, you know, we had Nefertiti in the show earlier. And yeah. it was a kind of a nice, nice scene where Pearl Mackey, as Bill, was looking at the bust of nefertiti she yep, just comes yep. across as very thoughtful and appreciative appreciative and i like the line where they have the the exchange where she's leading him through the map and then she goes wait 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 a minute i could have just taken a picture with my phone and the doctor and she's wait a minute you already have the map memorized and her response was stop trying to keep me out of trouble which is exactly yep what the doctor is trying to do. He's trying to be really protective and leave her, leave her out of the action, but it's kind of ominous in a way. Bill really doesn't want to be yeah. protected. I mean, we've talked about, you know, how there's some really subtle callbacks in this, which we're really enjoying as fans. Um, I would get, I was slightly upset, not upset. I would, I would have loved to have had the Fleischmann cold fusion um, uh, uh, drive to actually be magpie brand. Um, <laughs> Fleischmann, yeah, cold fusion. <laughs> I do love the idea. It's like a television repair shop in mm. North London. It becomes like a, a galactic mm. electronics brand, or maybe, or maybe the emoji bots themselves, mm-hmm. as, as as crap as they are at understanding human emotions, <laughs> they um, would could also magpie. be definitely magpie brand. <laughs> exactly, definitely magpie. So brand. I've heard the story of the magic fish, and we get a quite a bit of a Scottish bit with saying, you know, you know the magic di- haddock, magic haddock. So I'm assuming that's a, a Scottish type fish. I've, I've never a, a haddock. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Haddocks are awesome. I mean, we have haddocks here in 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 the northwest of the United States. Yes, don't yes, we? but it would be like a salmon if we we're doing it in Pacific Northwest. Oh, that's true. <laughs> the salmon is a more magical fish, let's face it, than a haddock. Um, but you know, a haddock, haddock's good. I mean, haddock's what you have. Mm-hmm. If they run out of cod, the, <laughs> the doctor's saying, I'm not Scottish, I'm just cross. And then, he's talking, and then Bill goes, are there Scots in space? And, you, and the doctor says, yes, they're demanding independence on every planet from which they land or something like that. And I thought a lot of the, a lot of the dialogue in it was pretty good with the doctor saying, you're trying to sentimentalize me. And mm-hmm, the doctor mm-hmm. says, I'm just mucking in. And the bill says, you, you always get involved. You couldn't leave me just serving chips, so I'm not going to leave you. And it wasn't bantery dialogue. It was just nice, interactive, heartfelt dialogue yeah. where you have the doctor being slightly cranky, slightly Hartnell, Colin Baker type doctor, but Bill not, you know, not letting it rubber the wrong way, saying, oh, you're a great mentor or you're a great tutor. You know, this is really right. thanks for the day out, really appreciative. So it's a really nice counter 
to when the doctor gets a little grouchy. Absolutely. 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 And there's a really subtle characterization of of Capaldi as the rock and roll doctor. So when he's alone, having returned to the city and he encounters the emoji robot, he lays on a David Bowie line from (laughs) um, ashes to ashes where he's saying, I'm happy. I hope you're happy too. To the robots so and oh, i didn't catch yeah, that yeah and and it's a perfect perfect uh, song to um cite from because the song is ashes to ashes right, there's layer right. upon layer of subtlety and inference and depth into this script and it yeah. works it's working really well until we have the rushed uh, magic wand, sonic screwdriver. The ending. Ending. Yeah, yeah. I liked. Um, I made a particular note of one um, phrase, which was that it's it's a living death trap. Yes. Which I liked a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Or or it's so beautiful, and then he says, "Well, <laughs> that that's how traps work. They are they're meant to be enticing, <laughs> or something yeah, like that. Exactly. And just yeah. and just a whole idea of all these events, all these deaths, just snowballed in a day as a grief tsunami or plague as grief, you know, grief right. plague. And it just really had a lot of ideas rolled up into this forty five minutes, and it just left me going is that it it didn't seem to wrap up very well i mean you'd know that young boy is going to be pretty she she, should be traumatized yeah yeah, pretty traumatized by you know his entire i am expecting his entire family has been uh ground up for bones yeah exactly and their skulls like sitting in the you know the house and the green cathedral brand um (laughs) you know a bone crusher Mm -hmm. so you know yeah, yeah, and so I mean, the 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 parable or the story of the magic fish, the magic haddock, makes sense that there the the solution is to wish that you didn't make the first two wishes, but it's not bringing back the people like the no. wishes would, and yeah. it's it just it just would have had a I don't know a better ending because I'm not the writer, but it just seemed like it almost as a you know what you would criticize an rtd era story of is a deuce ex machina ending a magic wand right. ending to reset to try to make everything better and really you left you're left with a big question does it even make things better i mean the doctor delivers you know an awesome line that you know anyone can have found the reset button especially if there happen to be scary handsome genius from outer space or something like that you know right, i mean right. that peter capaldi delivers lines wonderfully i mean it works works really well the script is well written i just wonder could there have been a more satisfying ending even you know like the stuff you proposed at the beginning of the podcast yep 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 yeah and i always i'm always a bit worried when i'm coming up with what i think are better endings what i think are better endings Mm -hmm. than the actual ending itself because Mm -hmm. if i can come up with it well come on these people are professional writers they absolutely should Mm -hmm. just and again it's just requires another minute maybe you know another 30 seconds of of of, of action yeah. um and we have something that's slightly more satisfying but there we go right. i you know i don't know if you were going to try to keep it in 45 minutes if you would have cut a little less exploration it would have been really interesting to uh hear the doctor or some dialogue or some discussion about the whole wet brains versus dry brains human brains versus yep. vardy yep. intelligence and yep. maybe that could have worked into the solutions 
I want to like the story more than I did because I really liked the scenes with the doctor and Bill. I really liked walking through Valencia, the city of uh, arts and science. You know, I liked it all up until that very ending, which Mm -hmm. seemed rushed and unsatisfying for me. Yeah, yep. So I, mean, I think that's basically our verdict. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was this was a this was a really good second episode mm-hmm. um, that was let down by having to race it to the end to get it under under fifty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would concur. Simple as that. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and to me, I mean, Frank Cottrell's voice has really redeemed himself after after Forest of the Dead, which I thought was Forest nice. of the Night. The Forest of the Night, whatever it's In called. the Forest of the Night. <laughs> in the Forest of the Night with a tiger. It's got a tiger in it or something. Well, we, anyway, we, end, we end with a callback to the Ark with an elephant. We do. <laughs> it did tie back to a Hartnell-esque feeling with we immediately have begun the next story at the end of the story that we've just watched. And yeah. it, I think the one of the first scenes of the Ark was where they're seeing the elephant and it reminded me of the Ark from the Hartnell era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to next week's mm-hmm. episode. Who is the writer of it? Uh, Sarah you... Dollard, I believe. Okay, is... what's she written before? She did Face the Raven. Oh, Face the Raven. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> well, uh... and if it's not if it's not crawl, I'm just turning off. Oh, so well, there you go. Be prepared to be disappointed then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I am preparing myself to be disappointed when it turns out not to be crawl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or crawl even. Yeah. Um, all yeah. right. Yeah, cool. Good. Um, well, I, I, it, that, that's been, I think, um, good stuff. Well, um, yeah. thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. Yeah. Um, of course, next week we'll be talking about Thin Ice. We do now have a fabulous Facebook page oh, um, yes. for uh, the, the Metabetas 2 podcast, um, which will be filled um, not only with um, uh, regular updates on this podcast, but with also other interesting snippets of Doctor Who news and excitement that we, that we come across um, each week. Um, it's going to change its, its, its photo. It's a cover photo each week as well to <laughs> donate a change in the podcast. The new photographs have already gone up today. So uh, why don't you like us on Facebook? It's it was a good way to, mm-hmm. to find out what's going on in the world of the Meta... On the planet of Metabelis 2, which is slightly nearer to the sun of Metabelis than Metabelis 3. And no no nanobots, no Vardy exists it's, on our planet a, here. It's literally a pleasure planet. It's like Floriana, only better. <laughs> All right. Well, so, well, thank you for listening to episode 39 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I've been David. And I have been Ben. Have a good night.
Thank you for listening to the Metabilis 2 podcast. You can reach us with email at metabilis2, that's a number two, at gmail.com or on Twitter at metabilis2. And again, that's a number two. Hope to hear from you. Bye. I pressed the reset button. Every computer has one and anyone can find it, especially if they happen to be scary, handsome genius from space.